0: Hi, this is Debony Morgan, and you're listening to The Spirit of Now, Zeitgeist podcast, where we talk to spiritual teachers, uh, wisdom holders, and influencers to broaden and deepen our spiritual lives. And today, we're talking to Rabbi Mitch Cohen, uh, because we have an upcoming silent retreat. So we want to learn more about that. So let me welcome you, Rabbi Mitch Cohen. Uh, obviously, this is not our first conversation. It's lovely to see you again and talk to you again. Um, And for our audience, uh, uh, Rabbi Cohen is uh, not only uh, a spiritual leader in his original tradition of Judaism, but he is also a more perennial teacher in other traditions. So Mitch is certified in uh, teaching and working with the Enneagram as well as uh, internal family systems which he does with spiritual directees. He is a certified spiritual director as well as a rabbi and when it comes to silence, Mitch is familiar with this. He's done five of his own week-long silent retreats and he has also led retreats for others as he is going to do again for us this November. So Mitch, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, I want to start our conversation with a wonderful quote, and this is from our uh, uh, contemplative in residence, Carl McCollman. And this is from his book, The Mystical Path to a Joy or Eternal Heart, The Mystical Path to a Joyful Life. And in the second chapter, he has an entire chapter on silence, and he says, times of rest, times of retreat, times of pause matter. They are opportunities for us to discover or rediscover that the threshold into silence, into the imaginal realm, is within us. So let's just start by talking about silence and why is silence important?
1: So let me first talk a little bit about an experience that I had, which was, which was really the first time I had a profound experience of what happens during uh, an extended period of silence. So Mm -hmm. I'll preface that, but I started meditating in 1991, Mm -hmm. Um, read a book by Herbert Benson, The Relaxation Response, because I was deep in the throes of a a generalized generalized anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, period. After my third son was born, I was sort of freaking out, freaking out how <laughs> Um, And a psychologist friend recommended that book. And so I started, you know, five minutes of, of, of deep breathing, focusing on a just calm peace, breathing in calm, breathing out peace. And, you know, I would get to these nice calm periods. And then I go on with my day still stuck in my anxiety. But it was in the late 90s. So this is what eight let's say let's say nine years later when I um, enrolled in the three-year life coaching program that I trained in, uh, the teacher his name was Mike Smith, who unfortunately is no longer with us. But he gave us an exercise during one of our weekend intensives to walk around the area for three hours, and we couldn't say a word to anybody, and we were supposed to just notice what was going on around us as we walked and when thoughts came in and it it was brilliant. He said, you know, for the first 20 minutes, you're going to think this is stupid. You're going to think this is crazy. You know, you're going to want to smile and say hello to people. Just don't just, just look straight and walk by them. And it was the first time that I ever noticed the sound of the birds Wow. I mean, I grew up in rural, well, in New York City, but then my formative years in rural New Jersey, plenty of birds around. And I can't recall a single time that I actually sat there and just listened to all the different bird calls. So this was in, this was in Florida, it was in West Palm Beach. And I was walking around, it was in a neighborhood and heard all these bird calls and the colors of, of the plants, the vividness of the green the, the the you know the reds and the yellows oranges of, of the flowers it it was so bright and I, I never realized that that's what could happen during extended periods of silence where the whatever it is 40,000 thoughts per day right. just really start to slow down and then and then when you get you know into a contemplative place where you're giving your mind something to focus on whether it's the breath or a mantra or to Carl's um, teaching, you know, a biblical phrase that has virtual meaning to you, then it gives the mind something to focus on, but frees up those uh, all that other space occupied by all these thoughts. And then you become embodied, you notice your body. Most people don't even know what being embodied is. Right. Um, and, you know, you really do get into a sense of, of, of calmness. And it's a respite, you know, from you know the the busyness that we all deal with. So that that would be my response to the the power of extended periods of silence.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, a lot of times one of the one of the things I work with with my psychotherapeutic clients is this idea that often we mistake our thoughts for ourselves. Our sense of self, right? Um, And when you when you get that extended silence, it gives you the opportunity to actually look at the thoughts happening. And you you have to realize that there's that Buddhist observer, right? That you you know, if you're watching your thoughts happen, what part of you is doing the watching, right? But you don't you don't learn that without intentionally putting yourself into that place of silence. Yeah
1: yeah and and I think I you know I've taught two classes on the Gospel of Thomas. I, I love that book. It's Jesus the Buddhist or the Taoist. And one of the very first verses is you know when when you look within, you will find and when you find you will be disturbed. And you know when you're disturbed, I forgot what the, what the closing phrase, is, but essentially you will uh, you will awaken right. And I love that because a lot of people are afraid of silence, I believe, yeah, because they don't want to be with their thoughts, right? That's why in our culture, particularly the Western culture, we are just really, really good at numbing and distracting, that's right? True. Whether that's through drugs, alcohol, yes, believe, religion can be an addiction too. Right. Um, you know, spiritual bypassing is a thing. Oh yeah. Um, so people don't want to be with their thoughts. I've heard people say that that you know if I if I get quiet I'm going to get even more anxious. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the disturbing that Jesus was talking about. And it's yeah. actually a needed disturbing because these are the things we've been avoiding. So one of the things that will come up in extended silence like they show up in dreams because as you know, you know my first 30 years was as a, a depth psychology informed uh, life coach, um, and I did a lot of dream work, and you know the scariest dreams, the scariest nightmares are usually the most powerful gifts right. if we're willing to look within. And it's the same thing in silence; stuff will come up, but it's that disturbance that needs to be heard. Yeah.
0: So, when people want to enter into this, for example, if they were gonna, going to come to our retreat, what you can expect is to be uncomfortable at some point, at, at not permanently, but at some point.
1: But now, I mean, I'm not talking about like people having to get up and run out of the room. I mean, you know, I did the five week long retreats with Adyashanti with 200 of my closest personal friends, <laughs> you know, and occasionally there were tears in the room, you know, stuff was coming up. But that's okay. That's actually right. a gift because it ends up being a release. And it doesn't cost $150 to be in a therapist office <laughs> and release it there. Though it's great to be witnessed um, yeah. in releasing our, our pain. Um, so, you know, it, it's really powerful. And, and my experience is the first day or so, you just kind of getting used to it. It's not uncommon for people that are new to meditation, you know, when they're in a formal program, you know, usually a couple hours in to go, what the hell did I do this for? Like, where's the door? That's um, not uncommon, right. but it passes, you know, and um, and then and then things can can move on from there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also why we do. I think it's really important for multi-days. Um, my experience personally is it's really day three that you really get settled in and you get to that place. Mm-hmm. It was my experience both um, out in uh, Mount Madonna, California, and then up in North Carolina, of course, now I'm space at Canuga, I think it is, um, the Episcopal Retreat Center up in North Carolina. Same Same experience about day three, you know, during breaks between meditative sessions, uh, you can walk around and uh, just to experience nature the way you don't normally do it when you've been silent for a couple of days is just such a spiritual experience.
0: Yeah. So let me go back and, and ask you to talk a little bit more about if if somebody has not done this before. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they don't even have a lot of experience with meditation or their own silence, Mm -hmm. but they're intrigued. Is this an okay place for them? Is this a welcoming place to be introduced to that level of silence?
1: Absolutely. Um, for, For several reasons. Number one, if they've never meditated before, you know, there's, they can reach out To me directly, there's a very simple little, and I mentioned it earlier, the Herbert Benson way. And he did a lot of research on transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. Is you just sit for five minutes, breathe in deeply and say the word calm, silently to yourself. And when you breathe out, you say peace. Mm -hmm. Calm, breath in, peace, breath out. And when your thoughts wander, all you do is say to yourself, thoughts. And then bring it back to your word, calm and peace. It's literally that simple. And you know, for some people, they'll they'll come for the first time. And you know, we're talking about the, the, uh, each the, the the structure of the day will be um, four meditation sessions for forty minutes. So that means for meditators, they'll meditate for forty minutes. For people that are new to meditation. You know, maybe they meditate for five minutes and then they um, just sit there for the rest of the time and just, you know, be with the energy of the group, which is, a you know, another powerful thing. Um, during breaks and there'll be 20 minute breaks between sessions and a long break twice during the day to walk the grounds of Ignatius house, which is nice. beautiful. I mean, it's right on the Chattahoochee River. It's wooded all around. There's hiking trails. There's uh, places to sit uh, all along um behind the, the chapel. There is all glass. So you can literally sit in the chapel and just sit there and look out. And it's not a mandatory, like if, if somebody just doesn't want to come back to a session, they don't have to. Good, okay, they're,
0: that's out, good yeah, to know.
1: they're out hiking around and it's the afternoon and they're like, you know. I don't feel like going back for that two thirty meditation session. Fine. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you get you you'll get what you need in your own silent way because we do have to stay silent on the grounds. So there'll be other people there in silent retreat.
0: Okay. Good so you have
1: to, yeah, and this includes meals. So we'll be in in total silence. However, in the evenings we've got guest speakers coming, and that is a time when we can ask questions so there will be time in the evenings for us to actually speak up um
0: tell me a little bit more about that who do we have coming and what uh, what's that going to look like
1: so our own pam muller mm-hmm. who is a dream work expert um if you're interested in her work she's got a tiktok page and she's very good with social media has a book out and uh, she will come speak to us about dream content that comes out because it's not uncommon during silent periods or extended silence to have stuff come up in dreams, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, and she'll teach us a little bit about what to do about that. And then um, a good friend of mine who's a depth psychology psychotherapist um, is going to come and he's going to speak to us about should anything come up during meditation, you know, what to do about that. You know how to, how to process through that, how to be with that. It's a great paradox of um, Jesus mentioned of disturbance, right? This right. is a time not to numb out, not to avoid it, not to spiritually bypass it, but to embrace it and invite it, and say, again, "I'm going to put my ifs hat on that, right? right?" Tell me more about what you need to share. You know what 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 do you need to to let me know, and and I use the word. Self with a big S, and that's the same Jungian word. You know, that's the self core. Um, that's what uh, Father, you know, Richard Rohr calls the divine center, the God within, the the Holy Spirit within. That's the self with a big S. Carl Jung called it the self with a big S. The Enneagram folks call it the self with a big S. And of course, internal family systems. The whole practice is built around. Getting yourself into self-energy, mm-hmm. which is always a place of compassion, curiosity, uh, connectedness, calmness, um, so that we can actually listen with compassion, listen with confidence um, to this, these, these, the stuff, the parts that come up during silence that just needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. that that's the beauty so basically you know an extended meditation period is is all also a self therapy sort of period doesn't mean a bunch of horrible trauma is going to come up though it could but it means things you've been sitting on for a while may pop up and this is an opportunity to actually ask it to join you at the table and share what it needs to share
0: It's a lovely way to put that, right? It's like creating space for your egoic self, your everyday self, that we all want to feel important. We all want to feel liked. We want to feel like we're smart and that we fit in. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the beautiful thing is when you're sitting in silence, like none of those needs are going to get met. And then who are you Underneath all of those needs, right? Who, who, where, where is that capital S, self, yeah. when you stop any kind of activity that's going to be gratifying <laughs> in any other way? In any other way,
1: yeah. Than it's so, with it's so self. funny. It's so funny that you you bring that example up, right? All, all of that egoic, you know, the uh, persona stuff that that we need. It's important. We got to have yeah. an ego, right? That's what gets us up in the morning. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I'm an Enneagram type too. That's the caregiver, the giver. And I'm really driven to be validated and appreciated and very relational. Well, I'm on a daily email listserv from the Enneagram Institute. And today's teaching was try not to connect with anybody today and just be with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. You just said that. So it's true you know, for those of us that really need that connection, that really relational, you know, for these several days, you're on your own. Now you're in community, right? right? But you're not communicating with that community in a physical or verbal way. Now you are communicating, right? Because there's self-energy in the room too, all right? And they're accessing it just like you are. And that's the energy that connects all of us. Right. I an, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Go
0: ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry.
1: I, said, I had an experience of this last night. Yeah, I usually teach this. You know, when I tell people we, we have self-energy, they go, what, what, what is this self-energy? I said, you know, you've been sitting on a Marta train, right? And you're really in, engulfed in a book. You're just into it. And you look up and wait to your left and somebody's been looking at you, Right. They may be thinking, oh, that looks like my brother, or that looks like my cousin, or they may think you're attracted, whatever it is. There's no way you could have seen that, right? You were so engulfed in that book. What you were doing is picking up their energy. And it yeah. happens all the time. Last night, you know, Hannah was sleeping and I, I went out to get a book or something and I went back in and I was just, I just stopped for a second to just look at her, you know, just admire her. And she opened her eyes. I said, Oh my God, how did you, I, and then I realized, ah, you were picking up my energy. Yeah. Right. Somehow in her, she wasn't totally asleep, but in that half sleep state, she was picking up my energy. Yeah. So it's the beauty of, of meditation in community.
0: Yeah, that's what I was about to uh, uh introduce is you know, you'd mentioned earlier the the energy of the group that if somebody yeah. is new and they may not be able to hold that meditative stance for a 40-minute times period, but they're they're still there, they're still honoring silence and they're still within the group. Um, and you'd mention the energy of the group. So obviously you just uh, talked about that, but is there a way to expand on that some more? Like, what are the benefits to spending these several days in a community of other people if we're not constantly chatting? What are we getting out of that being in the group?
1: Right. So there will be a, a group connection and a synergy of energy. And what can also happen, and you know, I forgot which which of the retreats I went to. Um, ironically, the last. Adyashanti five day retreat. Um, I flew back to Atlanta on March first, twenty twenty, a week before everything shut oh, down. That's right. <laughs> if that if that had been you know ten days later, I would have been stuck in San Francisco, which is not a bad place to be stuck in, but it would have been stuck out there. Um, but this, this this woman was sitting next to me, older woman, older. Well, I'm not a young guy, but older than I am, and she was sitting there, and at the end of the whole thing, she came over and said, you know, the other day when I was um, sitting in the, in the seat next to you, um, you have a lot of real good healing energy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, there are some people that are highly uh, intuitive and really can pick up, you know, energies of, of people for the better or, or the worst. And, you know, I, I was... Honored and humbled by that acknowledgement. But that was the first time I really realized that not only is there um, an aspect of the energy of the room and you're amongst this, but you literally could impact the person sitting on either side of you. Mm -hmm. um, And they can impact you. So, in other words, you know, if you know something comes up and it is a little challenging, then there, the energy of the person to your left or right could actually support you processing through that.
0: Mm. The sense of, of being held together it's, in the silence. Yeah.
1: It, you know, there, there's a whole energy level to our, our being and presence that we are so unaware of. The people in the in the east, they get it. The indigenous people, they get it. Um, those of us in the developed Western world are blind to it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation, right? Like how did, uh, how did that come about? <laughs> I'm sure we both have some good theories on that one.
1: Well, it's the same thing. You know, why, why do people go to houses of worship? Right. Because the truth is you can sit any, anywhere you, you are sitting is a, is a place of worship right? But people get something from it. And I consistently hear people like, why do you go? And I hear, you know, when I when I led a congregation, right? Why, why do you go? You know, the prayers are rote. There, some of them are boring. Many of us don't believe any anything that's in the content. And I said, it's for the community. And I, I knew what they were actually saying. It was the energy of the room where everybody in the room, you know, if it was a Shabbat service, were together and welcoming in a 25 hour period of slowing down of, of rest, mm-hmm. which you know in the Jewish tradition, um, even me being way on the progressive end theologically, it still meant a slowing down. It was not a work day, you know. And to to enter into that, you know, with 35 or 40 other people is, is a pretty powerful experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, say say more about the analogy between what what. uh what you'll be hosting coming up and, and Shabbat?
1: Well, that's a great a, a great question. So Shabbat is anything we want it to be, right? It's just a period and for those that's Sabbath, Shabbat is the Hebrew for that. Yeah. So we're basically looking at this as a four-day Shabbat experience. It's going to start Wednesday evening 16th, and there'll be full days on the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And then we end at uh, brunch time on that Sunday. So it'll be, you know, an evening, you know, starting (laughs) like Shabbat does, right? With a sunset, but an evening and then three full days and then ending at at brunch. So look at that as a, as your own personal Shabbat in community on spiritual grounds, right? Mm -hmm. Ignatius house, if you haven't been there, um, very very powerful spiritual place yes you know there have been hundreds there have been thousands of people that have walked those grounds that have brought the whatever pain they were coming in for for whatever reason they were at their retreats which are always more you know more um you know catholic oriented um whether they were meeting with their spiritual directors there you know whether they were just getting away from it all um, it, it, it doesn't matter what, but, but people came with hearts full and that energy sticks around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've, I've pretty much been focusing on silence, but you just said an important word that I think is relevant for the retreat as well. And that is rest. Yes. Can, can you say a little bit more about rest and silence and how they work together?
1: Yeah, you know, we we always, you know, talk different different analogies of, you know, we got to recharge the batteries, right? But there is something about slowing the brain down. When when I was in my coaching training, uh, there was a metaphor that we used. And that is, um, we called it efforting, right? When you start something new, you know, let's say the, the, the mind only has 10 units to do all that the mind does, right? In a normal day, two of them are occupied by, you know, The have to's you know getting up getting ready for work doing all that stuff but then there's aid available we're dealing with whatever type of work we do um, relating to people we're in relationship with so on and so forth when we start something new it's the reverse right there's eight units of the mind occupied with just trying to get the thing off the ground Mm -hmm. which is why new projects are so challenging so uh, mentally taxing so tiring Uh, Because we're exerting a ton of effort, right? So when you go to something like this, or even if it's a, you know, a Shabbat where you're not working and you're you're really doing things that feed the soul, you're freeing up eight units. So that, yeah, you just have the two units that are dealing with body function and, you know, everything else. But now you have eight units that are literally not doing anything. Mm. Right so they're going to come into the room and you know they're going to we're going to do a a short 30 minute session go to silent breakfast and then there's like I think we have 2 hours of free time after breakfast just to walk the grounds some people bring books some some silent retreats don't allow reading but I do um so you can bring you know hopefully not novels but you know something that's spiritually <laughs> nurturing you know, to bring that with you, uh, to bring a journal if you're into journaling um, or to just walk, walk the grounds. You know, yeah, it'll be chilly, but, you know, bring a jacket. Nobody had any trouble in 2019 when we did at the same time of year. Um, and or just sit on a bench and listen to the birds like I did, you know, in 1999 or whatever, whenever that was. um so that will certainly recharge the system, right? I remember on a World Pilgrims trip, we went to the Grand Canyon and we spent three days there. Uh, and, and it was an eight day trip, but three days were just the Grand Canyon. And I remember one of the, um, uh, whatever you call them, the, uh, not the guards, but the uh, park rangers. That's right. It. He came over to us and he said, you know, do you know what the average stay? of an american who visits the grand canyon and we said a day they said hour and a half what they said people come and they park their car in the south rim and they walk out and they look over into the canyon they get all the oohs and ahs take photographs and then they leave that's the average he said you guys are taking three days here right you're experiencing you know the area you're you know, some of us hiked down. There, there's there's one trail that's not that difficult. You know, some of us, including myself, just went down an hour, turned around, and came back. Um, some people just sat out. There's a couple of uh, viewing areas where you can sit and just look out. You know, but we took it in and you know listened to the uh, another park ranger just give us the history. You know, an hour lecture. Uh, um, you know, Native Americans believe that they were born in that canyon and came out of it. Mm. Most Americans don't know that, but we spent time there, right? So same thing with this. We're going to be spending three whole days where people can really start to slow it down. And it's not uncommon for the first day to just still the wheels are still turning. I've heard people say, "I did none of the fourth sessions could I stop the thinking." Terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, I I remember Gareth Young, friend of mine. He also leads uh, the Red Clay Sangha. Uh, a Zen uh, sangha here in Atlanta. And we met for breakfast one time. And I said, Carl, I had such a bad meditation this morning. He said, tell me more. I said, I couldn't slow my thinking. I was just so wrapped around the axle. He said, did you sit the whole time? I said, yeah, 30 minutes. He said, well, well, how is that a bad meditation? Yeah. He said, you sat for 30 minutes. There's no good and there's no bad. You sat for 30 minutes. You win. (laughs) Right. I never forgot that. (laughs) Just the act of sitting for 30 minutes to a Zen Buddhist is enough. Yeah. But we, we, in our cult, particularly American culture, we rate our meditation.
0: Oh yeah.
1: It's a good meditation. No, there's no such thing as a good meditation or a bad meditation.
0: Right. Or right I mean, or wrong. Right. A lot of people are like, Oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Right. I,
1: yeah. I you know, I mean, just yesterday, I've been meditating for 31 years right? 30 minutes, usually just five days a week. Yesterday, I thought most of the time Mm -hmm. after 31 years, but I sat for 30 minutes, Yeah, right? And I breathed deep for 30 minutes, right? And occasionally the thoughts would slow down and, you know, there's just a lot going on. So they just kept on coming back. So I take Gareth's good teaching to me, you know, you sat for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you were aware of the thoughts. You were you were in a state of awareness rather than living inside the thoughts. The thoughts were just something right. that was inside you.
1: Yes. Yesterday they just wouldn't step back yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and um, so, yeah. So the first day for, for newer people, even for older meditators, even, you know, when I've gone out to California, I know the first day is I expect it to just, just be a nice day. You know, it's really the second day when, when I would start to kind of settle in, you know, and, um, you know, and I really strongly encourage people to turn off their phones um, or only, you know, check in the evening and only respond to family emergencies. I mean literally, yeah, you know, I, I I tell people I'm gonna be away for the next four days with no cell phone and no email. So and I do that two weeks before I go. So every I, I mean I change my signature block and my email, you know. From this date to that date, I will be gone, you know, on vacation uh, with no access to cell phone or email. Yeah. That should should really limit it to just uh, junk, which you don't need to do anything about, or um, emergencies, God forbid. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure that's a frightening possibility for some people, not the emergencies, but just the idea of not having, not being on the phone hey,
1: constantly. I, you know, I am Mitch Cohen. I am a, a phone addict, <laughs> you know, uh, and yeah, I, I put it down. Um, no news, which is a gift in, in and of itself, right? <laughs> right. Um, no Facebook, no TikTok, you know, just my mind. And, and, you know, that, that anxiety that comes up of, wow, I, I just want to grab my phone. I get really curious about that. I ask mm-hmm. the question, what am I avoiding? Like, why do I need the dopamine rush by picking up the phone? You know, and again, I, that's not, not, not judgmental. If, if I, if there's judgment in there, I ask that part to just settle back. Just let me deal with what's really causing the, um, the anxiety. What's up? That I'm literally like, a, like an addiction running for a uh, a numbing or a distraction by going to the phone. Yeah. It usually it doesn't take long for that part to speak up.
0: Yeah. So this just sounds like such a rich opportunity for folks. It's a time for rest. It's a time for disconnecting from the things that keep you running on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. It's a time for restorative silence. It's a time for maybe a little bit of challenge, depending on what comes up, which creates a growth opportunity. Uh, there will be experts and coaches, and you know the guidance of yourself and the wonderful, wonderful time with um, you. You didn't name your psychologist friend.
1: Oh, Stuart Smith.
0: With Stuart, right? So we'll have time with Stuart. We'll have time with Pam to talk about dreams, to talk about the psychology of of this process, time to yourself, time to walk the gorgeous, gorgeous grounds, Um, maybe some time to read or journal, Mm -hmm. and then time to be in the stillness. So it sounds very juicy. (laughs) It sounds sounds lovely.
1: Oh, one important thing I forgot. is there's three nights, right? So, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Um, My thought is um, Saturday night, um, I would facilitate the, uh, just a Q and A. Lovely. You know, instead of a teaching, like, uh, you know, Pam is going to talk about dream work and Stuart's going to talk about stuff that might come up. I'm going to facilitate just Q and A, you know, did things come up or what's going on? You know, how, how can you see this being a benefit leaving here? Um, you know what? Any question that that anyone has, um, right. that will be, uh, and if it's a spiritual question, more the better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And is it okay for, for people to ask personal questions based on their experience or based on what they'd like to learn at wherever they're at this week, uh, you know,
1: not, not even about the meditation. I mean, they can bring anything they want to that Q and a, that's it's lovely. Purely confidential. Anything that is said in the room stays in the room, and I will put on my life coach, you know, my uh, rabbi, and my spiritual director's hat. Perfect. So you got three levels of confidentiality. I love it. I love it.
0: Um, so yeah, we'll put some of those um, references. We'll we'll direct people to Stuart and to Pam and. Uh, all of that in the show notes. Um, Mm -hmm. So the dates of this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mitch, I'm thinking we're looking at November 16th through the 20th. Does that sound right?
1: It does. I'm going to 22
0: in case you happen to fall upon this podcast afterwards. uh, Check with us. We'll probably do another one in the future. Um, But a Wednesday through Sunday and uh, all of the registration information is on our website zgatl.org um, for Zeitgeist. So, Mitch, anything else you'd like to add as we close
1: up? Yeah, just again, if somebody is interested, has never done this, or uh, wants to learn the be- basics of meditation, reach out, and that you know that information is available on the Zeitgeist Atlanta website.
0: Perfect. And we'll also put Mitch. We'll also put your website in case anyone would like to reach out to become a directee with you. Um, and to to have a professional relationship with you as a, as a coach or a directee. So that sounds wonderful. Thanks again, Mitch. I'm really looking forward to this. It's an exciting opportunity for folks to have some spiritual growth. So I appreciate it.
1: I look forward to it too. It's going to be a gift to, to all of us. Thanks.